midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. All right. Hello, groundlings. Welcome to Middle Ground. I'm Chris Otto. And I'm uh, Chris Kelsch, and uh, we're just a couple of guys trying to uh, figure it all out and uh, find some sort of balance in this crazy world. Our guest this week is a former college football star. Uh, He walked away from an NFL career to become, uh, wait for it, a dentist. Dentist. There you go. But but and not I, like the elf and the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, not that kind of a dentist. This is a different kind of a dentist. He, he's definitely not a misfit. He doesn't belong in the no. island of misfit toys. No. Uh, and then, of course, I'm very excited. We have uh, the second installment of our new feature, uh, the feature that we like to call Dick Picks. It's a game changer for us. It but is a game changer. <laughs> it elevates the things to a new level. It's our weekly pick of yeah, the week's exactly. biggest dick. And uh, just a reminder that uh, we are now on Stitcher and iTunes. And please go to iTunes and uh, and please, go ahead and rate people. and review us. Yeah, go to I mean, iTunes. Help us out. So we did yeah. get one. Actually, we didn't. I didn't uh, mention this to you earlier this week. We did get one review. Did you see that? No. What yeah, you, we got some was... review from a young lady, or I don't know if she's young, but a woman who likes what we do says she listens. She's listened since the beginning. She must be my mom. Thanks, mom. (laughs) But iTunes still says we don't have enough reviews to get a rating. So please follow us, subscribe to us, review us, and rate us so we can get a rating and move up in the the rankings there because all that does is bring more listeners, inspires us to do even better shows. It's like a pyramid. We're building this thing out brick by brick. That's right. Um, and don't even feel the need to be honest. Just go on there and tell everyone how great we are. Absolutely. Everyone knows it anyway, Please. so no, no worries about that. Nothing less uh, than and five also, stars. We're us, not interested yeah. in anything under four or five stars. <laughs> um, and also send us an email, too. We've got uh, chrisandchrismg at gmail.com, chrisandchrismg at gmail.com. Uh, and just an update. So a few weeks ago we did our what is – still our most popular episode uh m putting the m in bdsm a memorable episode and uh we actually have a follow-up to that coming up i don't know if it'll be next week or in the weeks to come but we've we've gotten people who have said they they loved m thought she was great and articulate but there are some things about the bdsm world that need to be clarified and explained apparently uh so we're going to give some folks an opportunity to do that and explore that topic a little more I, i think that's interesting for all of us yeah there's even more to explore i thought we covered it pretty good there but uh there's still more <laughs> out there all right um, so how was your week man what's going uh, on it's what's good on I, I clearly need to expand. i'm glad you mentioned that i clearly need to expand the dating palette the tinder thing went dry on all fronts hold on uh, <laughs> we gotta open the tinder box Was that the uh, what is that flamenco guitar? Oh, that's wonderful! Yeah. I love the flamenco guitar. Well done, guys. Thanks, Louise. Um, <laughs> so, what do you got for us this week? I have nothing. I switched back to match, and I'm playing around on that. Well, wait, wait! But... You can't, you can't do that. This is the it's... Tinder update. No, you gotta play the field, Chris, and oh, she. Okay. You play them off against right. each other. Hold on. When I get hold bored, on. So... when I go to match, it doesn't matter because I'm having no. Equal it does luck matter. With... It does. It doesn't. Hold, hold, there's a lot of people out with... there that think about these things in between episodes, not just me it's not just me so uh, i have to ask you ghosted on the woman or she ghosted i don't know you ghosted on each other the woman that came back after four months and answered your question yeah, yeah. she's gone you, you don't yep. want, you don't want to talk about her no okay 
Uh, and then last week you mentioned the woman who was interested in your financial uh, expertise. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you read that correctly because she, she vanished too. I think that was a big power play on her part to let everyone know that she's got a couple extra bucks and that's her status and things like that. And I'm not into, I'm not into chasing that. So that, that faded as well. So uh, took a break from Tinder. I said, if all I'm finding on here is junk, then uh, I, I go away from it for a while. It's like, this is ridiculous. I don't feel like partaking in this. So I go to match and uh, play around with that. But I can tell you both are equally unfruitful. So you've got a match profile out there, pictures, you wrote a, a about me, you've got everything yeah. going on? Yeah, all that stuff's fine. I actually had some nice feedback from a friend of mine who thinks I need to change my pictures. And I have to tell you, I think he's right. My pictures are too cinematic. This is going to sound crazy, but there's no basic pictures of me looking into the camera like a normal person looks into a camera when they're posing for oh. a picture. You so know what I mean? You use those those still photographs from the right. shoot you did where you're like right. leaning dramatically yep. against a street corner post. Yep. Uh, yeah, those, you look very, it, it does look like a movie still. Yeah. But and people so are going to look at that and now. think it's fake. They're going to think you're fake. <laughs> well, I am. Everybody is, Chris. That's the beauty of the internet. But uh, just to, just to <laughs> let it be known, I am going to be making some adjustments and I'm going to be actually doing the actual regular run-of-the-mill iPhone pictures that everyone else has on there. Do you want to post your pictures on our Facebook or Twitter accounts for all of our listeners to weigh in? If they want to see them, they're welcome to. I'll put a couple up there, and you, you can rate them. But um, can I can I rate them? Yes, you can. I totally yes. trust you on this judgment. But right. uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. So no out. emails, no likes, no follows on Match yet. Nothing. To I went dry, my friend. I went dry. Well, so not even you... any. Not in, Not even any looks at the gym, which. Uh... <laughs> no, no, no. We all know that the gym is the worst place to pick up anyone. No one it wants is. to be picked up at the gym. That's where I'm at. We're uh, non-successful as ever on the dating front on my side. How about you? Let's talk about something nice. What do you get? We got to close up the Tinder box. Uh -huh. Louise, yeah, it was a short one. Come yeah. back here. All right, go for it. <laughs> Oh, that's six string. Yeah. I love it. Oh, Thanks. that's beautiful. Thank Thanks, you. Louise. That's he awesome. tried out for the Gypsy Kings and didn't get it. <laughs> That's my favorite yeah. part of the show. Beautiful. Takes me uh, to another place. Yeah. So me, no, I uh, I didn't see uh, Nina this week because I, I don't know if I told you this. So Nina has left her job. She's taken a sabbatical from her job, and uh, because she's studying for the CPA, she's gonna she wants to be a certified public accountant. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before. So Nina is probably the most attractive tax accountant you'll ever meet <laughs> and bilingual too i would add bilingual, so yeah. i had that yeah i agree when you first told me that she was uh i don't, I don't know who's she with ernst kpmg uh, i forget KPMG. whatever one she's i don't know with, if we're allowed to say those, that i don't know if we're allowed i don't know if we are either i'm, I'm um, looking over to producer john um <laughs> he's shaking his head probably shouldn't so we'll scratch right, that we'll, we'll say, take that all right so we'll just yeah, we'll, we'll just tell the audience she works at a, one of those places where the smart people one work. One of the big accounting firms, yeah. Right, exactly. So you're right. She's very, very attractive for, generally speaking, when you meet those people, that's not the first thing that comes up, but she is very attractive. I for, think she's attractive. For those I, I, Absolutely. I would enjoy talk. I do enjoy talking taxes with her, even though I don't give a shit about taxes. But um, so she, yeah, she's studying for the CPA, which I didn't realize was such a big deal. There's like, there's four parts to this test and you have to take them in a certain amount of time and you have to study for like six weeks for each of them. 
So she took a sabbatical from work and she literally studies, I don't know, eight, 10 hours a day. That's a lot of numbers. I don't, I don't see how you could do anything for eight, 10 hours I, a day I've without never, drugs, without I, drugs helping you. I've never worked that. that hard at anything in my life. I mean, you know, well, for short bursts of time. You know, yeah, but not eight to 10 minutes, but yeah. not eight to 10 hours. Well, then it's time for coffee or a break or a walk or something. I mean, or a nap. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's so anyway. So well, that's good. So I, had, I didn't see her this past weekend because she wanted to study. So what I did do, and this is very exciting. Um, I, I'm spending time in Michigan, obviously, with my parents. My, my dad has some health challenges and it's, I'm enjoying spending time and helping him out with his projects here on a farm that they have in, in Michigan. And we started building a fence. This week, I never built a fence before. Very Amish of you. That is awesome. Very, it's very Harrison Ford in Witness. That is ex awesome. Ex that's exactly right. And there are Amish people up here, so we do have the occasional horse and buggy going by. It's it's very odd, but we have. I, th I think we figured we have three hundred feet of fence to build. To, it's going down the length of the driveway from the road, and. We, we worked on it for three days so far this week, and we've finished 63 feet. So there you go. There's my – you have Tinder One update. Fifth. I've got the fence update. 63 Did feet you out have of 300. To, here's what I I've, – I've built fences with my dad, and the part I hate the worst is digging the holes for the post. That's you have my job. That's oh, that's hard. I that think, is harsh. I think that's why I'm here in Michigan. I'm the post hole digger. That is brutal. I, I can manage just about any kind of physical work, but after a day of digging holes with the uh, with that tool, you have to twist and twist and yes. grind down in there. I forget what it's yes. called. It's At a the post end hole of the digger. Day, it's yeah, a it's a post hole digger. digger. Thank you. Thank you. I had done my best to forget. Trust but, me. Uh, but anyways, post hole digger, end of the day. I, that is a different kind of tired, and uh, I have to say I'm kind of looking for my own restitutions after that. And it's kind of like when I'm when I'm shoving the post hole digger into the hole. I imagine I'm shoving a a, a sword into Satan's heart because I'm yeah. just like shoving it into the earth. It's awesome. The worst is my dad would give me the assignment, and uh, I'd be you know two feet down of the possible three. Chugging away, moving in a pretty good clip, feeling good about myself, decent amount of energy, boom, hit the rock. And Yo. that is a one one to two hour delay trying oh, to get that shit. thing out of the ground. Yeah. Just a nightmare. That is a pause nightmare. in the action when you hit the rock. It's a pause in the yeah. action. Yeah. So it's been therapeutic. It is building a fence. I mean, and it's a metaphor, right? I'm building a fence with my dad. I think that's that's beautiful in a way. That's beautiful. So uh, I mentioned Satan, which is a good segue to, uh, you know, apparently Trump's still in the race. He's still in the race and he's looking for money. He's not going to self-finance the rest of the way. He actually went to the GOP and said, hey, if we're going to do this, uh, you guys are going to have to pony up some dough. That's an interesting way to make up, isn't it? Jeez. Kid coming home saying he needs a couple bucks. I'm what? telling you. Come on. Um, yeah. After he said for months and months and months, I don't need anybody. Nobody owns me. I'm not taking money from anybody. I'm my own man. Yeah. And then the other thing, I'm sniffing this thing out, and it's become very, very, very clear to me that Paul Ryan wants to be president really bad. That's no, his whole line not. of reasoning. That's his not. whole line of reasoning for not supporting Trump this time around because he's got to protect himself for 2020. That's why he's holding off. Okay, okay. I, I thought you meant, yeah. Sorry. Okay, okay. yeah. No, no I, not this right. time. No, I think he wants, he's going to make a run into, I think, I think that's why he didn't want to be Speaker of the House and that's why they had to beg him to do it. Yep. And I think that's interesting. No, other two, other factors, other factors are the guys that are backing Trump, McCain, Palin, and whoever else is in that, uh, that group of people, are they, 
they have races. They have to protect themselves in very tight Republican races uh, out in Arizona and things like that. They have to. Some of them have to support Trump. And you also want to make sure that you are in his good graces if he does get elected. You know, if you come out and say, look, I'm the senator from whatever state and I'm not going to support this bozo. And then all of a sudden he gets elected. You're kind of screwed because he's you know, and, and Trump's a vindictive guy. I mean, a lot of people say he ran for president this year because he was so humiliated. The White House uh, correspondence <laughs> dinner a few years ago when yeah. Obama and, tagged him and, good. Uh, Seth, <laughs> and Seth Meyers just roasted this guy in front of America. Yeah. And he stood oh. there. You could see the steam coming out of his ears. A lot of people think right there he said, fuck all of you. I'm running for president. And you're all out of mm. jobs. I've read that and I've heard that, too. That's interesting. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah. Talking about Trump is always a good segue into dick pics. Picks. So what do you got? Uh, we need a dick I, picks theme. Do we have a dick picks theme, Louise? <laughs> nothing? You got nothing? Can you pull something real quick? Next time you hire someone like Louise, could you bring me in on the meeting? I don't mind that you're hiring people oh, dude, without me there. Hot. Just let me sign she off. On it. Oh, okay. Despite her name, despite the name Louise, which I don't like at all, and I've expressed it to her every yeah. time she comes in. All day work. long I was calling her Louise, and she hated that. Oh, I, I boxed that up. She hates uh, it, and I hate it. I don't like the name, but she's hot. Uh, oh, she's uh, uh, so she's in the Middle Ground Archive Library right now, the music library, which is really uh, deep and vast. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the library, Louise. Relax. Yeah. Um, and she has something. So here we go. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it sets the tone. Thank you, Louise. Right, right, can I start us off? Please uh, do. Dick pic. It's not, it's not a specific dick pic, but I, I will tell you this. I get off the blue line on my way home today, uh, and I'm right there at Division in Ashland. You know where that's at. Busy corner. Lots going on. Edgy, as For we said. For our listeners not familiar with the Chicago uh, map, Division in Ashland is an intersection in Chicago. Thank you. And it's northwest uh, of the major downtown of the loop. So... Anyways, guy hands me a card. You ready? Sage Summit 2016. A-list talent, brilliant entrepreneurs, and you. So clearly it's one of those, it's almost like a TED Talk thing where you pony up the dough and you get to see a bunch of speakers come and give you the secret sauce to success and being a visionary and things like that. So you know what I'm talking about, right? It's just one of those seminars. It's kind of like TED Talks, but it's not TED Talks. Right. Yeah, so that's only my sketchy. problem. My problem is the lineup. Okay, front and center, Richard Branson. Okay, I'll give you that. Founder of Virgin Airlines. Wow, you know, that's quote unquote good. LinkedIn influencer. So that's your headliner. I'll take that. Then the talent drop off <laughs> gets severe. Brace yourselves. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, okay, she's kind of a lifestyle guru. She's kind of fashioning herself as a lifestyle guru. Okay. <laughs> what is third, a lifestyle guru? I, anyway? I'll let you ref. I'll let you rustle that. And then third, we have Ashton Kutcher. So oh one God. entrepreneurial and two lightweight celebrities. I'm paying to see these three people talk the talk. This is this is why it's a dick pic, Kurtz, because there's so many people out there that are self-appointed influencers and commented like we are i guess <laughs> i guess we're guilty self-appointed <laughs> people who think other people want to hear them talk yes 
Yeah, Bastards. so I guess guilty. Yeah, so you know, like the LinkedIn influencers. You're on LinkedIn yeah, a lot. So, so the link. So Richard Rand. Everyone's got columns on LinkedIn and so on. Everyone in this society thinks they have the secret sauce or the secret to this or the secret to that, and you need to follow what I'm doing and blah blah blah. My dick pic goes out to all the people who think that they're those people. So that's that's my pick for you this week. Sorry, wow, I, I like I'm not more specific, but I think you know what I'm getting at. No, I, I know where you're getting at, but I, I think we're we're two people included in your dick pic of the week. All righty, glad to be among be <laughs> glad to be amongst friends. Thanks a lot. That's what we call self-deprecating humor here nice. on Middle Ground. All right, nice. so my dick pic this week is an easy one. I don't like this guy anyway, but I got to give it to Jay Z. Because Beyonce comes out with this lemonade thing, this her new, I don't do you even call things albums anymore. No one makes an album anymore. Re- she released new music, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. Lemonade. And apparently it's a, it's about the fact that Jay-Z cheated on her, right? Um, right. And, and how she suffered and all the other. But first of all, back up, hold on, slow down. How do you cheat on Beyonce? What the F? Seriously, no. would you cheat that on is, Beyonce? No, no, I wouldn't. Um, that's one one word uh, that he has that we don't. Obviously, is confidence. He feels like the world is pretty vast, and uh, he can go out there and grab something else if okay. he has the well, appetite. You, you know for it. what? But I I would not. Though the answer to your question, obviously, no, you wouldn't. Which, cheat which on I Beyonce. don't understand because not only is he my dick pick this week, he's also on my ugliest men of all time list. I mean. I don't know how, I mean, I guess I do know why Beyonce's married to the guy, but I, I can't imagine what this woman you cheated with or women uh, must look like, but I, I'm guessing they don't look like Beyonce. No, but I think that's, don't you think she must have known that going in? That's part of the deal. I mean, this guy was a rapper, entertainer, blah, blah, blah. No, what do you mean part of the deal? But if it was part of the deal, why is she crying her tears out in music and, and passing this off as a as some sort of a you know, emotional cleansing that everyone has to pay 99 cents a song for. There's money to be made in emotional cleansing. This is well, the modern hello, Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the world we live in, my friend. It's all for public consumption. Everything is for public consumption. Dick pics. All right, so we need to create more content for the public to consume, and we're going to do that with our next guest. How's that for a segue? Love it. Perfect. I couldn't uh, have done any better. So he is, he was a star wide receiver in high school. He played for uh, Nouvelle Catholic High School here in Saginaw, Michigan. He then went to Michigan State with no scholarship to play football, but he walked on the football team. And by his junior year, not only was he starting, but he ended up becoming a star for Michigan State as a wide receiver, catching passes from uh, our favorite quarterback, Kirk Cousins, now a Washington Redskin. And uh, after graduation from Michigan State, didn't get drafted in the NFL, but signed uh, a free agent contract with the Indianapolis Colts and caught his first pass in his first game as a pro for a touchdown from none, none other than Hall of Fame quarterback Peyton Manning. Does it get any better than that? Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, too. It, really good seriously. guy. And now one of the reasons we're having him on is because uh, he left that career. He walked away after about a year and a half from the NFL and at age 25 entered dental school at the University of Detroit Mercy College. So here he is, Blair White.
Hey, thanks for joining us, man. Obviously, we're big Spartan fans, and we're going to talk a lot of football, among other things. But first, uh, just thank you for taking the time. It's very cool of you to join us. Absolutely. I, I must say, Chris, Otto, you, yeah. do you ever get Ray Liotta? Because in your, in your profile picture on LinkedIn, it's like striking. I have gotten that before, although my face isn't really pockmarked like his. I, you know. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. <laughs> and he doesn't have his laugh either. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't have his laugh, and I, and I don't have his checking account balance either. So, <laughs> Chris mentioned this, and uh, I know you're in dental school at UD Mercy now. Are you graduating in a month, or can you tell us where you're at in the program? Yeah, I, I am, actually. We uh, finish up in a couple weeks, uh, thank God. Uh, but uh, I'll be going on. <laughs> to uh, another two-year residency in orthodontics. That'll be down in Louisville. Start July 1st. For, for whatever reason, I never really loved the, the general dentistry aspect. I'm not sure. I just don't like the... I think part of it is um, I had a bunch of back troubles. I had back surgeries and stuff like that. And uh, leaning over, I, th- I think it just requires a lot more stress on the back. Wow. Well, Leslie said on uh, the old Seinfeld show, you're an anti-dentite. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, is is dentistry something I, I read somewhere uh, that you you wanted to be a dentist after football all along? So, is this something you wanted to do since you were a kid? No, I, I think I decided either late in high school, early in college. Uh, I think it was early in college. But I can't be one hundred percent certain. Although you'd think I'd have the mental capacity to remember that far, far back, um, but. I enjoy the human body. I think as an athlete, you come to appreciate the way the body works, you know, the physiology and stuff like that. All of the dentists I knew growing up, we had some some family friends who were dentists and uh, always had great experiences with them. I was fortunate not to have any cavities, so I didn't have to hear the drill when I went into the uh, oh, to the office. So that was uh, <laughs> that was certainly a positive. Now I get to scare the hell out of all my patients. I'm sure they love it. Did you study any kind of pre-med or anything like that in Michigan State? If you had an inkling that that was what you wanted to do, what did you uh, actually study in your undergrad? Yeah, it's a similar curriculum to the to pre-med. It's uh, My major was human biology, so it was like, you know, um, physiology, biology. There's a little bit of physics, um, chemistry, all that type of nerdy stuff. I, I swear it sounds tougher than it really is. More just putting your mind to it, you know. You were uh, you were an academic All-American at, at State, right? Uh, yeah, I believe I was for a couple, uh, one year? One oh. year, yeah. What do you mean you believe you were? You don't remember? Who can't remember being an academic All-American? That's pretty amazing. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was cool because I don't think there had been a, like a first team academic All-American since well i guess i think drew was drew stan was who i'm sure you guys are familiar with oh yeah but uh yeah it it was it was pretty cool i have to ask you as you know and i'm sure we'll get into some football stuff but you you show up at michigan state as a freshman you walk on the football team obviously you had a pretty successful high school career but did you ever expect that you would end up where you ended up co-leader in the big 10 and touchdowns your senior year and playing in the nfl and i mean you could not have imagined that or is that what your dream was no no i definitely didn't i my, my focus was always on uh school you know getting good grades and um moving on after that but i i was fortunate in my junior year i think i was eighth on the depth chart we had let's see Devin thomas left early for the for the nfl draft two other guys got hurt ryan allison changed positions to linebacker so i went from like i had been studying the system and knew the system so i moved from like eighth to fourth and then i think one other guy got hurt and you make a couple of plays and and, and it uh, kind of propels you a little bit 
And where were we in terms of coaches? Was that like D'Antonio's first couple of years? I'm trying to remember when this was. I believe that was his second, like my junior year, the year I started playing would have been his second year. And that is Stanton or Cousins was No, no, dude. No, you're, yeah, no, you're showing your age. That was Brian Hoyer, right? And then yeah, I think your, your, your senior year, I think was that year. I remember having season tickets, those first couple of home games, thinking, okay, nickel or Cousins, nickel or Cousins. And if it were up to me, I remember I was all in on Keith Nickel as starting quarterback, and that shows what I know about football. (laughs) (laughs) He transferred from Oklahoma. Everyone was high on him. Right, right. Yeah, he was was definitely a better athlete. There's no question about that. Um, Strong, fast. But Kirk always had a, a stronger, more accurate, easier ball to catch. I think they made the right choice. Obviously, they made the right choice at this point. No, and no offense, Keith, if 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 he ever hears this, he's uh he lives down the road from me, and we're good friends. I just talked to him on the phone the other day, so he knows how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Does it at all surprise you the success that's happened to Kirk since leaving? Not really. No, I he's a great leader. You know, he's very spiritual. I think he wins a lot of guys over in the locker room, and, and he works his tail off. So. He's a little short. I think that that was uh, one of the concerns I had, but he did well, and then everyone wrote him off, and now he's back. You know, now he's going to get paid. So good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, if you remember, Washington drafted him in the third round the same year they took RG three in the first round. So they took court two quarterbacks that year, and uh, I just had a feeling he would come from out of nowhere and take that job. That's a great story. Yeah, it really is. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, you said something that I you – know, obviously to play that sport at that level, at Division One level, certainly at a Big Ten school, it takes a tremendous amount of passion, a uh, tremendous amount of dedication. But when you're eighth on the depth chart and you still have to go to practice every day and do the thing every day, does that get discouraging? When does that uh, coincide when, – when does that collide with your love of the game and then you sit there – do you ever find yourself sitting there at the end of a practice or – at, at, at night alone in your dorm room going, man, this is not working out. I'm not getting anywhere with this. Uh, does that ever enter your mind? Oh, absolutely. If I if there was a single, um, you know, feeling, it was the constant ups and downs of, you know, my first couple of years as a walk-on. You have a good practice, and they move you up, and you're getting reps with uh, the twos. And the next, the next week – you think you're doing great, and you don't even crack the uh, the scout team wide receiver list. So you're just like, I just remember feeling uh, so devastated one week, and then the next week, all that hope, that hope I think was was what you had to remember, you had to hold on to in terms of pushing yourself and being disciplined. And of course, another part of it is my parents. My mom was an all-American swimmer at Michigan State. She was a uh, I just learned this the other day. She was the first female out of Saginaw County to ever receive an athletic scholarship to a Big Ten institution. Uh, oh. She had never told us that. So it was, it was pretty neat. But she, she worked her butt off, and that's kind of where I get it from. How important is the balance when you are a college athlete or maybe a, a football player specifically, and maybe it's more specific to Mark D'Antonio's scheme and the program at Michigan State? But, you know— you got a guy like Aaron Burbridge, who's a phenomenal athlete, ran track in high school, played football in high school, I mean, does everything. And then somebody like you, who's an academic All-American, you know, he's the athletic guy, you're a more cerebral guy. How important is the balance between the physical demands of playing football versus 
the intellectual demands of absorbing the system and the scheme and being in the place you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be there and determining who gets on the field. I mean, can a, a cerebral guy outwork a, a freak athlete to become a starter? Absolutely, given the right circumstances. That's certainly one of the main reasons I was able to make it, at least uh, at the professional level. You know, Peyton appreciated a guy who, who knew what they had to do. Obviously, he does most of the work, but that's that's how I got my my chance there. It's the it's the greats of of all time and in the, the Pro Bowlers over many years that you see uh, that are athletic and also have put the cerebral part together. They just know the game. The guy like Reggie Wayne, for example, what you got, you might not think that he's uh, you know the smartest guy, but he he studied the hell out of what he did and uh, very very studious, uh, smart, understood. Uh, the concepts and where he needed to be and all that type of thing. But I think once when you put those two together, you, you really get those uh, those amazing athletes that that, perf- that perform and, and are very prolific. When you said something about you said something about Peyton Manning, I thought was fascinating. You said obviously he does most of the work, and I was curious about what those years were like. I know he technically had an offensive coordinator. I think his name was Tom Moore. Um, or what was, I forget what his name was, but what was he his own offensive coordinator, or how did that actually work? Yeah, Tom was there. I'm not sure if he was still offensive coordinator at that time. I think uh, it was. It was either, I think it was Clyde Christensen. What, what the year I was there was the offensive coordinator. From what I could collect, and, and I was never firsthand part of. It, I had never have wore the headset, um, like you know the backup quarterbacks can do sometimes. But I believe that he called his own plays about sixty to seventy percent of the time. The thing that was um, the most revealing to me was so every play when the play clock starts you can get the the audio from the coaches right but it's only one way so you can hear them but they can't hear you and one of the reasons Peyton was so successful is because he was able to get everyone lined up and he had I think the audio cuts off at you know a certain time in the in the play clock well the, he had everyone lined up so quickly that the coaches up in the boxes were able to tell him what the coverages were going to be so I think that was I had never thought about it like that, but that was certainly an advantage for him, and, and it allowed him to check into the plays that he wanted to. So how often did he change the play? Not a ton. I, I think most of the most of the stuff we hear is, is dummy calls and stuff like that, but uh, probably Omaha, 30 per- Omaha, Omaha. Yeah. Remember that from the Super Bowl? Yeah. Right, exactly. That, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but I would say he changes the play probably 30% of the time after, you know, there are certain plays where, uh, he says, you know, the code word, for example, we had ice cream was one of the code words. And that just meant line up and we're going to do a fake mo- motion. I'm going to act like I'm going to snap the ball. I'm going to call hike. And then once we see what they're in, then I'll call the actual play. So it, w- it was stuff like that. Being able to adjust, that was that was cool. Well, his attention to detail was incredible. Unbelievable. Like no one I've ever seen ever even close at any level. I read the story of your uh, your grabbing the t- the touchdown catch and even on that it seems like you get you guys had a moment in the huddle where he said, "Well, that slant that slant route's not going to work. Such and such try this, try that." And sure enough, you were in the end zone and you caught the pass. So that I mean that stuff like that, that attention to details like that's got to be what sets him apart from Absolutely. From and I remember, you know, he would say, "If you guys see something, let me know and and, and we'll take a peek." And I just remember of the moron that I was rookie white wide receiver. And I said, this guy's jumping the slant every, every play. Cause we had run it like three or four times. You know, I think the, I think the sluggo will be there. 
I don't know if he saw it as well, but he kind of acknowledged it and trusted me, and, and that was a play I scored on. So it was, uh, it was, it was definitely revealing to see him, uh, you know, a 15-year veteran trusting a guy like me. I think he, I think it's that cerebral part. You know, he kind of expects me to know know what I'm getting and uh, adjust. Yeah, that's amazing. When you watched the Denver Broncos play the Super Bowl or you watched them maybe this past season, did you recognize anything he was doing that he did with you guys, with the Colts? I, I would say most of what he does is the same, but it's just different words. Shoot, most of the, probably 70% of the NFL has played with him at one point. You know, if he's playing against Indianapolis, all those coaches have coached with him, you know, for 10 right. years. So, yeah. you know, the, they're going to know all the code names, so he's got to switch those. But uh, I, I think most of the offense that he ran was – I would say 90% similar. Were you two full years with the Colts, or did you did you leave that second year when your back started to give you problems? Yeah, it was about a year and a half. In the second year, um, I didn't get any snaps at receiver, uh, and they put me on IR for my back and my uh, shoulder. So that was a rough year. That was a year where Peyton didn't play, and we went 2-14. and 14. Yeah. And I remember before the year, um, everyone was so pumped because the Super Bowl is in Indy. You know, Peyton's there, and – we're like, man, this is this is awesome. It's gonna be the first time a hometown hometown team plays in in their own Super Bowl, and and then we go two and fourteen. So <laughs> it seemed like you'd be able to override any a lot of different uh, injuries, but it seems like when it gets to the area of the back and things like that, it just seems like that's really hard to overcome at that level. Uh, when when it was the back and it started giving you problems, did you get a sense then that this was this was probably it for you? Yeah, you know, I had two surgeries at Michigan State uh, in the same region that was bothering me in 2012 or yeah, 2012 with the Colts, and I just figured, you know, I had heard from from specialists and things like that. Once you start getting into three, four surgeries at the same level, then you're talking about a fusion, and that's that's what really restricts your your motion. My wife and I and our family we were very active, so I I wanted to be able to you know, play pickup basketball, golf, be able to pick up my kids in the yard when I'm 40. So that was certainly, that was a factor. I can remember the second year, I just wanted to get, get to four games or three or four games. I can't remember what it was just to get that, uh, that season, the credited season. Mm-hmm. And, and I would get in my car in the morning drive. And by the time I got to the facility and got out, I had to basically limp in, you know, crawl into the facility because of the back pain but i just i knew i had to get past it so i'd pop some ibuprofen and uh and and get practice over with but but by the mid-season it was just it it became too much and how do you feel now i feel okay i feel um probably try to overdo it then it gets sore no question about it but i do some things to management manage it you know i do i do physical therapy and stuff like that so it's usually not too bad i think the constant pounding from the route running and the hits and the special team just was was a whole different level when I was playing. So isn't it in the NFL, if you had gotten to that third accredited season, is that when the pension kicks in? Absolutely. That was my goal. That was my goal from the beginning and, and uh, never got there. So. so since you've left the NFL, obviously lots of stuff in the media about concussions, the Will Smith movie that brings a lot of attention to the NFL and how much they're doing to, to support players and, and prevent and treat concussions. I mean, that must have helped validate your decision to leave when you did. Absolutely. Yeah, that was another positive for sure. Yeah. Was it? Do you remember concussions as a player, college or pro? I was telling my buddies about this the other day. I never had the concussions where you get nauseous and you have headaches for days. I had these things where 
I'd get hit pretty hard and I would go, I'd have like double vision. I would get blurry for, it would, it would be a gradual onset. And then for about 25 to 30 minutes, it would, it would just be, you know, blurry in one eye. And it was like intense focus was the only way to get rid of it. And then, you know, it just gradually faded after about a half hour. But I remember we had a Monday night game um, at home against the Texans and I can I can remember my heart pounding in my chest because I was dealing with that and and about to re- return a punt. So looking up into those lights, I can't believe I didn't fumble it. Fumble it to be honest with you, but mm. that that probably happened a good, including college, ten to twelve times. When you were playing receiver for State in the Big Ten, and you take a look at that schedule every year, uh, any players that you remember uh, just exceptionally hard hitters and you thought, oh, man, I hate to go up against that secondary. I mean, there's got to be some pretty good hitters in the Big Ten. Absolutely. There was um, – I was never worried about the hits too much, but one of the guys who, who legit I was like, I need to prepare for this guy, Malcolm um, Jenkins, the corner from Ohio State, he was like oh, a man. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was just a sophomore, maybe a junior when I played against him, but he uh, he was big and long, and I couldn't get off. The, I mean, I already had struggled getting off the line, getting my releases as as it was, but against him, I had no chance. So yeah, he's I think he's playing for the Eagles now, or isn't he? I think he is, and he's made a nice career for himself in the league. I was doing some reading about you, and uh, it actually surprised me. You you admired Javon Ringer. Uh, quite a bit, it seems like. He was a pretty big inspiration to you while you were at State. Talk a little bit about your relationship with him. Yeah, Javon, um, I would say if I had to give credit to one person for, for receiving a scholarship my junior and senior years, it'd be him. I can remember we were in a team meeting one year, and I can't remember. I had to get up and, and talk. Everyone had to talk at some point in front of the whole team. Javon was talking, giving a senior speech, and, and he referenced me uh, as his inspiration for working hard and that type of thing. And I kid you not, 30 seconds later, Coach D stands up from the back and says, next year we're putting Blair White on scholarship. And it was like an eruption. Everyone cheered. Wow. You know, you see those videos wow. now. And, yeah, but but Javon certainly played a huge part in that. And everyone admired him. You know, he was our best player, hardest worker. And uh, all the coaches, you know, you could tell he's the favorite. And for him to say that really uh, went a long ways. You weren't there for the previous coaching staff. Uh, you came aboard, like I think you said, in D'Antonio's second year. But uh, when you think about the culture and environment that he tried to instill day in and day out, uh, what comes to mind? I think just the discipline. He's just a hard-nosed, uh, accountable coach. Uh, for example, we played at Minnesota one year uh, on Halloween. We lost that game, and uh, Keyshawn Martin was returning a kick. And I was, you know, I was on the front line blocking for him. And as he was running down the sideline, you can see me in, in the film in the film room with the entire team running down Minnesota sideline, kind of taunting a little bit. Uh, pretty embarrassing. But he stops. Coach D stops the film, and he's, you know. I usually work hard. I don't say a whole lot, so he's not giving me a bunch of shit. But he, excuse my language, he. Um, oh, this is a podcast, man. You can say whatever you want. That's that's yeah. that's the advantage. You should, you should hear some of our guests, Blair. You're the cleanest <laughs> one we've had on, my friend. Nice, good. <laughs> but he stops the film and he says, "You see this? You see this crap right here?" He's like, "You'll be doing bear crawls for weeks." And he just he cussed us out. He cussed me out so much. I'll never forget that. That. You know, that was a turning point. I thought 
you know, he's a pretty good guy. And then after that, I was like, hey, this guy is a dick, you know. So, <laughs> but I, I needed it all as college athletes. You know, we're still boys, most of us. So to have that from a coach was was uh, I think phenomenal. So were you when you walked on? Was John L. Smith still the coach there? He was. He was for a year. I think a year. Yeah, he then got fired. Yeah. So, so it was his staff that actually gave me a chance. John L. Smith, obviously, kind of a wacko guy, crazy stuff that he said and did. And then D'Antonio comes in and brings this straight laced, disciplined, you know, um, tight lipped, buttoned up uh, approach to the program. Did you guys, as a team and players, did you start to think, you know what, this guy's going to turn this around? I mean, we we have a chance here to do something great. And did you see this coming? I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't. I mean, we his first couple of years when I was there, we were still. I mean, we were better, but we were still. I think my senior year we went seven and six, so it wasn't like, you know, anything crazy. But it's hard to put your finger on why certain coaches are successful. But he just runs a tight ship, you know. He. He's honest. He, he, from what I understand and from what I've gathered in my time, he's uh, he's not cheating or anything like that. But uh, maybe he's going to have to here to compete with these other guys. Um, but um, <laughs> we won't mention who those other guys are. Yeah, that's right. Tough neighborhood. We know who they are. That's a brutal neighborhood. That is a yeah. tough neighborhood to play in. It really is. But yeah, I mean, got to have a foundation somewhere, and that, and that was his, and that's kind of one of the reasons I think he's been successful. Speaking of foundations, when you you grew up in Sag, the Saginaw area, um, and uh, did you grow up a state fan or a Michigan fan or tough allegiances either way? I know your mom went to state, so I was assuming uh, Michigan State fan, but you never know. How what were what was it like growing up? Yeah, my mom uh, had a pretty hard Michigan State. All of her siblings, I think, except one, so that's six of them went to Michigan State. So we were we were constantly uh, engrossed in the the Michigan State Spartan culture. Uh, I remember having friends that were pro Michigan, like all of us, and, and it uh, it bothered me when they you know beat us. But that's how it was back then, you know. Every year there was no uh, there was no. I wonder who's going to win this year. I was like, oh right. god, we got to play Michigan again. Yeah, <laughs> you were part of the group, but you were part of the group that started to change that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I knew I wanted to kind of do like the medical dental thing in high school. And so I thought my best shot to do that would be to go to Michigan because, you know, the academic reputation, they're in the top whatever in the nation every year. But I also wanted to walk in and play football. And and my thought was, well, if I want to have a chance to actually get on the field, I better I better go to Michigan State, you know, just because they don't have this quality of the athlete. And uh, it turned out to be to be uh, quite the contrary. I think we beat Michigan three out of the, my last, uh, well, I think I went three and two, but my last three years, we beat we beat them every year. So, And they had questionable athletes at best. So uh, it's just interesting, you know, how the tide has turned. And, and uh, you know, you wonder if it'll stay or you wonder if, obviously Michigan's getting a lot better in football. Uh, and that'll be, that'll be a tough game every year, but, um, it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see the success we've had. You know, I, I'm always curious what, uh, what happens down on the field during games on the sidelines between you guys, because, you know, from the, the, from the stands, from the fans point of view, Michigan, Michigan state's a huge rivalry. You know, the media seems to be in love with the Michigan, Ohio state rivalry, but you know, when you think about an in-state rivalry between 
MSU and Michigan, a lot of, a lot, you know, other than the big marquee players coming from a Texas or Florida or wherever, most of the team is coming from this area, Michigan, you know, the surrounding states and probably were Ohio. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, and so when you get a Michigan, Michigan state game, you probably have most of the guys on both teams had contact with the opposite team's coaching staff at one time and was, you know, either sort of set aside or cast aside or whatever. So there's got to be a lot of bitter feelings. And, and it just seems to me that the, you know, I think the phrase we used with Rex Road was the raw emotion of that rivalry far exceeds whatever it is in, in Michigan, Ohio State or Michigan State's old rivalry with Notre Dame. I mean, is that is that the sense on the field? Did you guys just hate Michigan more than any other team? For, for, for us, absolutely. Um, and it it certainly augmented it that that coach D played it up. I mean, he did not, you know, he definitely emphasized that game every year to the media and to us. You know, it was a it was a a countdown on the on the clocks we had in the locker room uh, and all that type of thing. So it was, uh, yeah, you really you really they get you to buy in to the fact that we should really dislike Michigan and that everything they stand for and all their players. And uh, even nowadays, if if I uh, if I pay my respects to a, a you know one of the Michigan greats that that came or something in an interview, I'll get texts from all my buddies and be like you know the, it's kind of like the Draymond Green thing you know he still bleeds pretty hard and if uh, I think there was a reporter that wore a Michigan shirt and he just let him have it so it's kind of <laughs> like that you know that's that's how it's been. The draft is coming up and I know that that it was not a big deal with you because um, you weren't drafted but. Did you? Um, I'm always fascinated by this process. I'm obviously they've taken these guys through the combine, this and that, measured every possible thing. Um, did you ever get a sense of how scouts and stuff like that try and measure uh, someone's football IQ or passion for the game or knowledge for the game? Because you had those intangibles, like Chris said. But did you ever get a sense that that uh, uh, personnel people from the NFL could could measure that in some way or tried to at least? They tried to. They tried to ask questions about. Um, you know, what types of coverage, you know, and what type of adjustments you'd make if a team did this. But, uh, I mean, I think either you're either you grasp it pretty well or, or you really have no idea. There's there, there's certainly a little bit in between. But if you can at least understand what a cover two is and, and where the opens or the opening zones are in that. I think you pass that threshold for, OK, this guy can kind of figure it out. We can teach him. So I. I always wonder how they, you know, if they grade potential draftees based on their their mental capacity or or how they do that. But uh, I'd like to be in the meeting room when they when they go over that type of thing. I would too, because they're wrong. They're wrong most of the time. It's been right. Rude, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's crazy. Were you recruited when you were in high school, and and then later when you left Michigan State, did you have any chance of thinking you'd be drafted in the late rounds? I was only recruited by uh, Division two schools and some uh, lower Division uh, one schools, but it was mostly GLIAC, you know, like Saginaw Valley, not even Grand Valley, because you know they were always a tier above uh, the rest of the GLIAC. But Saginaw Valley, Northwoods, you know, those type of people, and of course we had. When I was still in high school, the football coach at Saginaw Valley was the father of, of one of my classmates uh, at high school. So I had a little bit of a connection there. As far as the, the pros go, I, you know, I actually, my agent, who, who I'm still very good friends with and uh, probably one of my best friends currently, he 
he claims he told me I had a second to third round grade based on what the scouts were saying. But the big issue was the back, you know. But I remember uh, the aside from the health issues, I do remember you had a pretty big body for a receiver. And so what were your you were over six feet, right? You were like six three, six. Yeah, the combine six two, six two, two oh nine with all that water weight. <laughs> well, that's good size. That's a good NFL receiver size. Even to uh, I don't know what they had you pegged. I was assuming a slot receiver or like a possession receiver. That's pretty good size. Yeah, you know it, it's not bad, and and I ran okay. You know, I ran four four five flat. I think four four nine. Not blazing. I'm not going to run by anyone, but good enough to to move the ball down the field. I remember the draft ended, and I think the drafted in Buffalo, San Diego, and Indianapolis were the three teams that called them were interested in me signing with them, and it just made sense, obviously, with Peyton. They had a they had a fourth receiver, I'm sorry, fifth receiver spot open still on the roster uh, before locks, so I figured that'd be a good chance for me, and it worked out. When you got to the NFL, and you played at a big time program, obviously Big Ten, but is the difference between college and the NFL mind-blowing, or is it something you can adjust to fairly quickly? I'm told they're just so much faster and so much bigger. Um, even if you come from a program like Michigan State, it's still a pretty significant leap. How was that transition? You know, it is faster. They're bigger and faster. There's no question about it. But um, I think people typically overstate overstate the uh, the transition and how difficult it can be. I, for me, it was all about knowing where to be, being there when you're told to, and, and, you know, the ball will be delivered. Now, I'm sure for quarterbacks, it's a whole different story. But, um, you know, as a wide receiver, you have a certain amount of time to get downfield, run your route, run it well, and, and uh, you know, the ball's going to be there. So I didn't have too much issue with that. There's certainly a better players, no question, in the NFL. But uh, as far as the speed of the game – if you can practice well and slow yourself down in that regard, it makes everything a lot easier. When you look back on, and you can answer this both from Michigan State or even with the Colts, you know what are your favorite memories or your favorite moments that stick out from your career on or off the field? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously at Michigan State, the the slant uh, at in Ann Arbor, I think it was in the first quarter, and we ended up winning that game. That was a that was a big victory and a big play for me. Um, uh, and the pros, I think, you know, just we had a great locker room in Indy. So I, there was a lot of good veterans. Everyone was very cordial. You know, no one was doing the initiation BS that you always hear about, probably because I didn't have a big signing bonus like the rest of the uh, rookie class. <laughs> you, but, weren't, um, you weren't expected to buy Rolex watches for the offensive line or anything? <laughs> no, God. You know, I think I – we played credit card roulette one one dinner and, and I got stuck with like a six hundred dollar bill because all these Yahoo's order and bottles of wine and most expensive meal on the on the menu and I was beside myself. So, uh, but the uh, some of the some of the best moments are just going out and grabbing a beer with the guys after the game, you know, stuff like that. That's that's kind of what establishes the camaraderie and in uh, the atmosphere of oh, the winning atmosphere really it allows you to to get to know guys trust them and uh they have your backs what do you know about uh, jim caldwell he was your coach i think at indy for those two years right uh now coaching the lions um any thoughts on him uh, anything about him memorable or stick out in your mind as the type of coach he is yeah jim's a, jim's a player's coach there's no question about it he's he's more reserved uh he fit the locker room well 
in Indy with the, the amount of veterans we had. But um, cerebral guy, really smart guy. He's always reading, always uh, pulling out quotes here and there that kind of relate to what we're doing. And uh, I had a chance to work with him while I've been in Detroit uh, on this uh it's called Team Smile. It's essentially a mobile dental clinic that partners with professional sports teams. And I approached him, and he was, boy, he he uh, he agreed to do it without any hesitation. So he's just a great guy and a guy that everyone likes playing for. You see Caldwell taking a team to the Super Bowl and winning it. I think, yeah, I think he has the potential to do that. I think uh, I think it's more about offensive coordinator, defensive coordinators, and uh, being able to scout the other team pretty well. So. Uh, I, Detroit's had had decent talent. I think uh, I think they're still middle of the road in that regard, but they can win games. There's no reason they shouldn't be winning more games. You know, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit because uh, I'm sure we might have lost anybody who doesn't like football in the first half hour here. But you know, you wanted to be a dentist. I'm sure you didn't count on the success you had in football, and uh, I'm guessing you probably would have ridden that out if you could have gone on to play for ten years, but. That transition from playing in front of 70,000 people and scoring a touchdown caught from Peyton Manning, quite a bit different than sitting in a classroom, you know, studying dentistry and going on to orthodontics. And two years from now, you'll be what? Putting braces on 12 year olds, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, but making big... as much, but making as much money <laughs> yeah, that's true. And for, for a much longer period of time, it's sustainable. So that's good. Right. But how, how do you come to terms with that? Such a huge switch in, in your future? Yeah, it's difficult. You just have to see, you know, the long term, the long term prize. Eventually, when you're done playing, you're gonna have to get a job. So that was kind of what I always went back on is, you know, I could be done in 10 years, I could be done in in three years. But either way, I'm, I'm likely gonna go, you know, try to be a dentist or, you know, something along those lines. But uh, it's difficult. No question about it. I think in the NFL, you have a certain uh, level of autonomy as a player obviously you have to attend meetings and, and go to that type of thing and report but the main difference that i kind of realized in dental school is the level of organization everything in the nfl is scheduled got to be on time it's just a little bit more freehand in dental school you know you can't get the answers you want you got to kind of make your own breaks a little bit more so it's been tough having to having to answer to certain faculty who maybe aren't as understanding, uh, you know, as others. So that was tough, but we're passing that in about a month when we graduate. So that'd be nice. Are you, uh, are you a little bit older than your classmates? Do you take a lot of flack for being the ex NFL guy or what? Yeah. You know, I, um, I'm a little bit older than most. I think most of them, I'd say the average is about 25, 26. I'm 29. Thankfully one of my good buddies is 32. So we give him crap all the time, but, um, it's interesting that, that we have a, a forty-year-old in our class, so it just it just depends. Oh, forty-year-old, that's still a puppy. <laughs> that's still young. I'd trade places. You guys have been around the block yourselves, right? I mean, you've both been in Hollywood. I was, yeah, I was in uh, L.A. for about seven, eight years. Uh, actually, right after I left Michigan State. Good for you. I mean, how was that? Uh, it was different, like you, kind of going from college to the NFL. I found myself less than a year after graduating from Michigan State. I was in New Orleans on a movie set with. Kevin Costner uh, shooting JFK with Oliver Stone directing. That's amazing. It was a trip. But, you know, I injured my back, so after a year and a half, I left and uh, pursued another (laughs) career and uh, decided that'd be... (laughs) 
no, it's uh, so I, yeah, I, I I toiled out there for a few years. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. So you're uh, you're married and you no kids yet? We have two kids. Oh, yep. you do have two we kids. Have, uh, yeah, two year old and a six month old. They're gonna have nice teeth. I have a feeling. <laughs> they better. And they stop sucking on their on their pacifiers. A boy and a girl. Two boys. Two boys, and they're gonna grow up and realize their dad was once an NFL player, and they're gonna be pissed that they missed it. <laughs> they'll uh. <laughs> They'll be all right. They'll have a lot more exciting athletes to watch in their time. I'm sure they won't even ask me what the hell I used to do. Other than the, you know, catching the touchdown from Peyton Manning, um, what kind of memories will you share with them that uh, that are your favorite? I think I've played with a lot of good role models, so I, th- I think I'll certainly use that to help kind of shape them. But once they get a little bit older, tell them a couple stories about going to the bar with with 18. My my uh, two year old. Anytime he hears the number 18, he says Peyton. So we got that ingrained in him already. <laughs> anything else you want to achieve? Uh, anything else like lifelong goals you want to achieve? You're off to a great start, obviously. Played in the NFL, um, going into a very, very, you know, obviously a prestigious profession. Anything else out there that you dream about doing that you think you might want to try one day? Yeah, you know, I'm really interested. If I hadn't done dentistry, I'd... I'd be in finance or business or, you know, something along those lines. For, for whatever reason, it's always interested me. I think a lot of guys in the NFL are are into that, so that's part of it. But my parents and, and their siblings own a couple golf courses and, and uh, you know, a bar. So uh, I've just always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I know a lot of football players that go into that field. And I th- like you said, it's the entrepreneurial spirit. But I think it's the it's that desire to compete. Like I don't think that ever dies in an athlete. So whether you leave the football field or not, whatever field you go into, it seems like they're able to view it as competition, either competing with themselves to get better or to compete with uh, with others. So it seems like a great mindset to apply to other lines of work. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's uh, well said. I think, you know, it's almost like a challenge and that's, you know, you're competing. Like you said, the some of the uh, most fulfilling moments like currently in my life still are when I can go play basketball, pick up basketball against some guys that are pretty solid and, and win and compete and, and that type of thing. So it's it's just part of our DNA, I guess. One more question I want to ask you before we fire our three quick ones at you. Um, a lot of talk about the fact that participation rates in youth football this, these days is down and all this concussion stuff in the media doesn't help. Are you going to let your boys play football? I'm not going to push it, to be honest with you. I'm not going to push it, but if if they want to play, then then I'm going to let them play. And you you can accomplish a lot of the same goals playing other sports, doing other things that, you know, it's not the exact same as football, but it's it's very similar. So. Well, we'll we'll end it up here with our three questions. We like to ask our guests. Uh, I'll start us off. Uh, Go for uh, it. There's one thing you could if you could, if there's one thing you could attempt. Uh, in life, uh, if you knew that you you couldn't fail, uh, what would you like to try? I like to start up a business. What kind of business? What would Joe you start? Joe Rutherford said the same thing. I think he did. Cool. Yeah, yeah. The sports guys go for the business, and of, co- and of course, it's the biz- competitive spirit. I'm telling you. Yeah, right. I, I'm sure other guys would be like, I want to catch a touchdown from Peyton Manning once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not that cool. I promise. Before you decided on dentistry, when you were like 10, 11, 12, what did you want to be when you grew up? Professional golfer. Really? Yeah, you know, I played I played uh, golf my freshman year of high school, and I was so atrocious that I had to switch to football. So I guess uh, I guess there was a there's a reason for it. What's your handicap now? About a, like a seven or eight. 
the mayor of Chicago, Richard Daly, had this one uh, saying, uh, this uh, slogan. I'll never forget it. He goes, you show me a guy who's good at golf, and I'll show you someone who's either neglecting his job or his family. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so That's, true. i got to oh, think yeah. there's some truth in that. So, Absolutely. Anyways. Uh, final question, Blair. Um, if you think about one song that you can remember growing up that really defined you or something that really stuck with you, and that could be from any time, from high school, maybe even through state or, or things that really uh, kind of an iconic song for you, uh, what would that be? Oh, boy, that's a good one. Um, you know, you, you, I might get a little bit of flack for this, but growing up in Saginaw, I had some buddies that were uh, – recorded a couple hip-hop albums we really really like the uh dr dre chronic album i think that's my favorite hip-hop album so nice that's that's a go-to that's a go-to for me i can see that being played in the locker room after practice or something right absolutely absolutely (laughs) blair thanks very much man i you know we just we wanted to have you on here because as uh you know obviously we're big michigan state fans and you know a lot of joy over the years watching you run up and down that field at Spartan Stadium but I mean and then going to the NFL and the success you had there and playing with Peyton Manning but I think probably most importantly deciding to leave that behind and go on to pursue a professional career uh, after football I mean that's something that's kind of a story you don't hear about very often I mean guys try to milk that football thing for as long as they can and you know we're hearing the effects of that later on in life so uh, I think you're an inspiration to a lot of a lot of young athletes in that position. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having Congratulations. me. Congratulations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- thank you. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important for, for people to understand that there's more to life than just the football. You know, it's a lot of different avenues to, to be successful and, and, more importantly, be happy and, and try to figure out what makes you happy. That's right. Yeah, it's, you know, if you think about how few people become a professional athlete versus the amount of little kids, little, you know, young boys out there that want to become a professional athlete, I mean, you know, almost all of them will not. So... Uh, the fact that you actually decided to, to walk away from that and do something else, is, I think, is pretty cool. So thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Blair. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Blair White on Middle Ground. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. It's like this and like that and like this, Santa. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. It's like this and like that and like this, Santa. Drake creep to the mic like a fan. Well, I'm peeping and I'm creeping and I'm creeping. But I damn near got caught because my beeper kept beeping. Now it's time for me to make my impression felt. So sit back, relax, and strap on your seatbelt. You've never been on a ride like this before. With a producer who can rap and control the maestro At the same time with the dope rhyme that I kick You know and I know I flow some old funky shit To add to my collection, the selection symbolizes dope Take a tote but don't choke If you do, you have no clue Of what me and my homie Snoop Dogg came to do It's like this and like that and like this and uh It's like that and like this and like that and uh It's like this and who gives a fuck about those So just chill to the next episode 